Well, welcome. Glad that you decided to join us for this online experience. And uh, if this is your first time joining us for this experience, welcome. Hopefully I get a chance to meet you soon. I've actually loved hearing from uh, many of you, and I realize that this uh, situation and circumstance we're in has created some interesting dynamics. And so some of you are trying to figure out how to adapt to that, uh, and you're kind of learning a whole new rhythm of life. Uh, I had somebody send me this. Uh, they sent me this, said, I've spent two weeks hanging out with myself. And they wanted to say, I'm so sorry to every person I've ever spent time with. <laughs> Somebody who is tired of hanging out with himself. I don't know about you, but uh, this quarantine can cause you to lose track of days. Anybody with me on that? You kind of lose track of which day it is. And so somebody said this, until further notice, the days of the week are now called this day, that day, other day, someday, yesterday, today, and the next day. Some of you feel that way, right? Uh, had somebody write this, I love this, said, it's like being 16 again, this whole situation we're in. Gas is cheap and I'm grounded, is what they said, I love that. Some of you are watching this and uh, you kind of have begun learning to homeschool your kids, right? And uh, some of you used to send your kids to school, now you're homeschool. you're doing schooling at home. And so one uh, particular parent wrote this. They're like really thrilled with how homeschooling is going. I hope you are. They said, three weeks of homeschooling, my seven-year-old, my nine-year-old, and my 12-year-olds went surprisingly well, is what they said. They've all now graduated from high school, and they're ready to move out and get jobs when the quarantine's over. Isn't that awesome, right? Yeah, it's pretty cool uh, to hear from you, and I know this is a new adjustment. I know it's a new rhythm. I know we all kind of can't wait till all of a sudden things begin opening up. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're in this situation, and God is moving. God is still moving. Uh, I'd love to take this chance to thank all of you who are on the front lines. Uh, some of you have received care packages from people here in the church and things like that. Thank you for your service to the rest of us. And, and as I think about how God is moving during this time, I was thinking about how grateful I am that we have technology to be able to do this. Uh, this last week, I heard from somebody in Virginia, if you're watching today, hello, all right, that is watching this online experience, right? And we're glad that we have the chance to do that. Because here's the deal. Even when the church isn't gathered, when it's scattered, God is doing his work. And the key for the church is, is to pay attention to the work God's doing even when we're scattered. That's why we're in this book called 1 Peter. If you have a Bible, just lay it open to 1 Peter. If you're not sure how to get there, go to the table contents. But we're in this book called 1 Peter. It's a letter that's written called 1 Peter. And here's what we said last week, that this letter called 1 Peter is written to a real guy. A real guy, his name's Peter, right? Blue-collar fisherman, rough, tumble fisherman, calluses on his hand, fisherman. This guy who, would, who talked big, but sometimes he stuck his foot in his mouth, right? He became this humble yet passionate preacher. And he's writing this letter, and he's writing it to real people, real people, followers of Christ living in modern-day Turkey. And these people need a real hope. That's why we're calling it Living Hope While Living Here. Here's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes today. This whole idea of living hope, which is what the book of 1 Peter is all about, is so important because living hope while living here is important because, okay, and that is Pennsylvanian for because, right? Because sometimes living here is just simply hard. 
right? And if you're sitting there watching this, you would say, amen, right? Sometimes living here is hard. I was going to put it this way. Maybe some of you resonate with this. Living hope while living here, because living here can sometimes feel like a living hell, right? And some of you would say that. Maybe some of you feel that right now. Maybe some of you are going through that. Peter wastes no time at all. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 1, look at what he says, verse 6. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice. We'll get back to that. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer, here it is, grief in all kinds of trials. I said this last week that this book is not a pie in the sky, sweet by and by kind of letter, right? That Peter is writing and it's raw. It's gritty. It's real. And here's what Peter is saying. If you're taking notes, I'd write it down this way. Hard times are just really hard. Hard times are just really hard. That's what he's saying. Living hope, having this living hope is not a denial of the fact that sometimes life is just hard. You know why? Because life can be hard. And when I go through hard times, Peter wants me to know hard times are really hard. Can I just say this? I want you to hear me say this. Some of you need to hear this, right? Living hope, following Jesus, being a Christian, whatever you want to call it, is not about plastic smiles, positive thinking, fake me out spirituality. That's not what living hope is. Here's why some of you need to hear this. For some of you, that's the brand of Christianity somebody introduced to you. For some of you, the brand of Christianity that, that somehow got introduced into your life was this cleanup on Sunday. You always put a smile on. There's no time to cry, and you can't be real about your problems. You ever been around somebody like that? Can I ask you this? Are you somebody like that? See, here's the problem with that. The only problem with that brand of Christianity is it violates the very words of its leader, Jesus. In John 16, here's what Jesus said. He said, I told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Look what he says. I love how real Jesus is. He says, here on earth you will have many, say those words out loud, go ahead, trials and sorrows. He said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, the guy writing 1 Peter would have heard these words when they were first spoken. He would have heard Jesus speak these words. And all Peter is doing to these people in, that are scattered throughout modern-day Turkey is he's reiterating the words he would have heard Jesus speak. Now, remember what Peter says. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to, underline these words, suffer grief. Suffer grief. Here's why I want you to underline. This word grief, when you kind of drill back, here's all it was. It was a metaphor that was derived from a military expression. So they would have used that. It was like a military expression, and here's what it meant. To be harassed. That's what it means. To be harassed. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question today. Have you ever felt harassed by life? Have you ever felt harassed by disappointments in your life? Have you ever experienced life so that you felt harassed by other people, by unfairness? Maybe you felt harassed because you feel like, man, I just feel like I got some bad luck. You see, that's what Peter's saying. And he's writing to real people. Can you imagine what the first century followers of Jesus must have been thinking? 
Their ancestors had waited hundreds of years for a Messiah. All of a sudden, Jesus comes. The Messiah's here. And they follow him and they watch him. Until eventually they watch the one who was the Messiah, the one who was going to rescue. They watch him being brutally beaten and killed. Only to watch as he rises again from the dead. Only to watch then as he says, hey, I'm leaving and I want you to carry on my mission. They begin to carry on his mission called the church. Only to experience opposition from the religious leaders of the day to the point where they were scattered from their homes. The religious leaders then kind of got the ear of the government leaders. And now they found themselves in a very hostile environment where not only was the religious leaders opposing them, but now it was an illegal religion. And now Nero would torture them, imprison them, kill them, even taking some of their dead bodies dipping them in tar, lighting his garden with Christians. You see, here's what I know about the people Peter's writing to. They knew what it meant to be harassed. They knew that sometimes we go through hard times, and when we do, hard times really are hard. Living hope doesn't deny that. Living hope doesn't try to explain it away. Living hope doesn't sugarcoat it. I need to recognize that hard times are hard. Not only do I need to recognize that for me, listen, listen close, I need to allow it for other people. I need to allow other people to experience and and, and recognize and confess that sometimes hard times, just they're really hard. Peter goes on, he says this. He says, you may have had to suffer grief, and look what he says, in all kinds of trials. I love that that's in there because what Peter is saying is he's saying trials are a mixed bag. He's saying that they're a mosaic of colors. It's like Baskin Robbins, right? 31 different flavors. Here's what he's saying. If you're taking notes, I would write it down this way. Peter's saying my hard times, they might be different than your hard times. This is really good to know, right? That our hard times are different. And the word he uses there is they come in various shades and varieties. Here's the deal. Your hard times, some of you are going through a hard time. Your hard times are are different than my hard times. Some of you are going through a financial hard time. For some of you, the hard times that you face in life, they're physical. For others, it might be relational. Some of it is circumstantial. Some of you lost your job. And like, I'm going through a hard time. You see, why does Peter put that in here? Listen, I, I have a hunch on this. The reason Peter wrote this is because... It's important for you and I to remember my hard times are different than yours and it does us no good to compare. You ever meet somebody that does that when you're going through a hard time and they'll say to you, well, that's nothing. You ought to hear about my hard time. And what happens is we compare hard times. You see, Peter knew what that was like firsthand. John 21, Jesus tells him how he's going to die. And you know what Peter does? He turns and he looks at John and he's like, well, what about him? What about him? And Jesus said, hey, why don't you let that up to me? You see, I don't know. I don't know why some people seem to have more hard times than others. I don't know. I don't know why some of you are going through hard times that seem more intense than others. 
But Peter is writing this book to people who knew what it was like to live in hard times. And he says, sometimes living here is hard and we need hope. And his purpose for writing this book is because living hope is so important in the middle of hard times. Why? I want you to write this down. Living hope gives me perspective when living here is hard. Living hope is what gives me perspective when living here is hard. You and I need perspective, and it's living hope. It's what Peter's talking about that gives us perspective. Can we just say it this way? Perspective makes all the difference in the world. You know what perspective is? Here's what perspective is. It's just looking at something from a different angle. Sometimes I, I look at something from a different angle and I have a different perspective. Or, or perspective is me maybe seeing something through someone else's eyes. You know, I think about this with, with this virus we're going through. You know, there, there are people who are like, hey, what's the big deal? I don't know anybody that's got the virus or I don't know anybody that's sick. And it seems like not that big of a deal. But then you meet somebody who buried a loved one who died because they had the virus. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I have a different perspective. I look at something from a different angle. I see something through somebody else's eyes. Or maybe perspective comes when a little time passes and I see things different. Peter is writing so that we get perspective. A, a wonderful Christian author whose life was very hard wrote this. Perspective is everything when you're experiencing the challenge of life. Some of you are going through challenges right now, and what Peter wants you to have is perspective. So what's the perspective? Well, let's look at a couple of things. Look what he says in 1 Peter. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while you're suffering grief. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice. And his word choice here is fascinating. When he uses this word rejoice, it's pregnant with meaning. It's like this vocal expression of praise. What Peter is saying, he's saying, in this you greatly rejoice. Let's take a time out for a minute. It sounds like Peter is one of those plastic smile Christians when you just read this really quick, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I thought we could be real. What in the world is Peter saying? Here's what he's saying, and we'll tease it out. Peter is saying this, that what I worship, go ahead and write it down, what I worship will determine how I walk through my hard times. And you will have hard times. I will have hard times. And what I worship will determine how I walk through it. Can I tell you something? My hard times will expose what I worship. You ought to write that down somewhere. My hard times will expose what I worship. The question all of us got to ask is this, what do we greatly rejoice in? I got three kids, and I say about my three kids when they were little. It'd be amazing to me when I would come home, and if I were to happen to be traveling or maybe went to the dollar store, and, and, and if I were to happen to have bought them a trinket, you know, one of those cheap $1 trinkets that's going to break in a week, you know, or maybe got them a candy bar. It'd be amazing to me when I would walk in and then I would show them this trinket, how excited, like they would rejoice, right? Like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, right? It was amazing equally if I'd go to the dollar store with them and they're like, I want a trinket like that and I wouldn't get it for them. 
how much they would grieve because they couldn't have the trinket. Or it was amazing to watch them, if they had a trinket, how much they would grieve when that trinket broke. Never once when my kids were little did they break out and rejoice because I put a roof over their head. Never once did they come to me when they were five years old and say, Oh, Daddy, thank you so much that we have food. Never once did they come and say, Oh, Father, I am so glad you love our mother. They never once rejoiced over those things. They always, though, when I would bring them a candy bar, a trinket, it'd be like, Yes, they would rejoice. It's amazing how that has changed the older they've got, right? Because as they have gotten older, they realize the treasures. They realize the treasure of having a roof over your head, food on the table. They realize the treasure that they had in life. You see, the same thing happens in our relationship with God. Stay with me. This is kind of hard to hear, but it's true. You see, we rejoice over the trinkets sometimes that we perceive him to bring into our lives. And you know what happens when those trinkets break? or when we can't have them, we equally grieve. And for many of us, we miss rejoicing in the treasure that he offers. That's why he says, in this we greatly rejoice. What in the world is the in this? It's everything he talks about in verses one through five. This new birth that we have because of his great mercy. Living hope is a gift, and I got a new birth, I also have a secure future, and I have a new identity. And my salvation is what I rejoice in. That's the treasure that he's talking about. I would write it this way. It's an easy way to remember it. I rejoice in my new birth that I'm saved from the penalty of my sin. I'm saved from the penalty of my sin. But then he says I have a secure future. He's saying I can rejoice that I'll be saved from the presence of sin. That one day when I'm with Jesus, saved from the presence of sin. But right now, he's saying, I can rejoice that I'm being saved from the power of sin. I rejoice in this great salvation I have in Jesus. Which causes him to say this in verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation, this treasure we have, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you, that's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, they searched intently. And with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. He goes on to say it was revealed to them that they weren't just serving themselves but you. He's like, they wrote this and they were like so eager before Jesus. They're looking into the searching, studying, and, and it was revealed to them that what they were doing was serving you and I. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preach, there's our word, the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then he says this. I don't know if you ever thought about this. This salvation, this treasure, the prophets looked at it, searched carefully. And then it says even angels long. They just long to look into these things. They long to look into the incredible mercy of God on our behalf. Guys, listen to me. Peter is saying that in God's blessing of salvation is a treasure, and I can rejoice. I can rejoice 
can we be honest? It doesn't take us long, like we can rejoice right now, but it doesn't take us long to go from rejoicing in our treasure to taking it for granted. Can we just be honest about that? You know what happens when we begin taking our treasure for granted? All of a sudden, we begin focusing on our trinkets. And then what happens is, is we get bent out of shape when our trinkets break or we can't have them. Somebody said this one time, and I like it. When I begin to take my blessings, my treasures, for granted, my problems become the lens that I look at life through. You see, that's what Peter's trying to say. He's saying it's a different perspective. And all of a sudden, when I look at life through the treasure of my salvation, it changes my perspective. Not only that, but Peter says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for, what? A little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Isn't it interesting? Just see if you can agree with me. Isn't it interesting how time changes your perspective? Like a little while doesn't seem like a little while when you're in the middle of that little while. Are you with me? Let me say that again. That was confusing, right? A little while doesn't seem like a little while when you're right in the middle of the little while. But after a little time, all of a sudden, it changes your perspective. This, this last week, I celebrated a birthday. Uh, I turned 54. I know I don't look it, but I turned 54, right? And, uh, but it was interesting to look back on life because I can think of different stages in my life. You have different stages in your life when you think, I'm never going to survive this. And you think, it's never going to, junior high. Anybody with me on that? Like junior high is that time of life when you're awkward and everybody else around you is awkward and, and, and you're not sure how to survive life and you think, I'm never going to get through junior high. Can I just tell you something? At age 54, 54 years past, like, that was a little while, right? Or for some of you, and you maybe feel this really now in the middle of this quarantine, I don't know, but, but you're parents of young'uns and, and you haven't slept a full night in a long time, Right? Or maybe you're in the middle of training them. Maybe it's potty training, right? Or maybe it's training them so that they give up their pacifier. I remember when my, my wife and I were uh, parents of young ones, and we were trying to train them, and we were trying to walk through this idea of getting rid of their pacifier. And there's so much pressure because everybody has their ideas of what's right. And you think, we're never going to. You know, I thought for a while, you know, Joel's going to use a pacifier until he's 30. I didn't know, you know. And now that I'm 54, I look back and I'm like, wow, that was just a little while. You know, I had a lady tell us something when we were young parents said, don't sweat the small stuff. And most of it's small stuff. You see, there's something that happens when all of a sudden time gets between the situation and you and it gives you perspective. What Peter is saying is this. He's saying that my hard times they have an expiration date. Your hard times have an expiration date. That's what he's saying. He's, some of you are saying right now, I don't know how long my hard time is going to last. I don't either. I'm not sure. But what he's saying is this, compared to the future, the new birth gives us whatever we're facing now is a blip on a timeline. That's not a preacher being superficial about what you're facing. But what Peter is saying is when I get perspective, this is a little while. 
And the perspective that he wants us to have is, I want you to compare the grief you're facing for this little while with the inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade away. That's for eternity. He's saying that even if the grief that I go through lasts my entire life, it's still hard. But if it lasts my entire life compared to eternity, it's a blip on a timeline. That's what he's saying. You see, my hard times have an expiration date. That's what causes a guy named Paul to say this in 2 Corinthians. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Well, that's not easy to say when you're in the middle of it. Well, how can he say this? Because they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Against the backdrop of eternity, it's a little while. I love what this guy says. He says, for the believer, our hope is eternal and our trial is temporary. And we have to rejoice in is everlasting and what we grieve in will end. For the person who's not, your hope is temporary. Your trial will be eternal. The only joy you have is the fading joy of this world. You see, he says this trial is for a little while. This grief is for a little while. Peter goes on and he says something, and this is where we need to go. This is how we need to end our conversation this week. He says, these have come, and then he says there's a purpose, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We've got to lean into this a little bit, okay? Peter is saying that our hard times can serve a very important purpose in our life. Let's be honest about something. We avoid pain at all costs. We do. Anything to get out from underneath the pain. And yet what he's saying is, is that sometimes my pain produces something. Here's how I want you to write it down. My hard times are revealing and refining. And you know what they reveal? They reveal my faith, whether it's genuine. They strengthen my faith. They're revealing and refining. And he uses this illustration of gold. And the way you refine and strengthen gold is you take it through a very hot furnace. And when you do that, the impurities kind of melt away. And what you end up with is pure, pure gold. Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying hard times are the fire or the furnace. My faith is the treasure. When Hard times come, my faith goes through those hard times, and what is superficial in my faith melts away. And what is genuine, it becomes strong and refined. Well, how do I know what that looks like? Peter tells us. That's verses 8 and 9. Peter says, if you want to know when you go through the furnace of hard times, here's how you know. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter simply saying this, when life heats up with hard times, I need to ask myself, when I go through those hard times, do I somehow, as I come through them, love him more, trust him more, does it somehow inflate my worship? 
do my fiery trials push me into a deeper relationship with God? I need to ask myself, do I trust God or do I trust the idea of what God should be like? Oh, better say that again. Do I trust God or do I trust the idea of what I think God should be like? Because I think that's what Peter is saying. My hard times will reveal my faith and then they'll refine my faith. How do I know that's happening? Do I somehow love him more, trust him more? Am I becoming more like Jesus as I go through the furnace of my hard times? And then he says this, let's land here. He says that these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what's he saying there? I think there's two really important things for us to see as we close. First, he's saying this. I think what Peter is saying is, is that genuine faith in hard times will turn the lights bright on Jesus. He's saying when, I, when my faith somehow goes through the heat of testing and the impurity melts away, all of a sudden what comes out is pure. And just like gold, it's refined and it reflects. A, a faith that is refined will reflect and it will reflect Jesus. It will point to Jesus. That's what the book of 1 Peter is all about. You know what, Peter, we're going to see this. He writes to wives and he says this, I'm writing to wives who are going through the furnace of their relationship with their husband. And he's saying this, is that when you go through that and it causes you to love Jesus more, trust Jesus more, reflect Jesus more, all of a sudden you turn the lights bright on Jesus for your unbelieving husband. He's writing to employees. He's saying when, when you go through the heat, and sometimes it's your employer putting it on you, and, and, and going through the heat as it burns away the superficiality, your faith is genuine and it's refined and it reflects Jesus. You turn the lights bright on Jesus. He's talking to citizens who are enduring injustice, unfairness, hard times. And he says, when you go through the heat of that, you're not complaining and griping and demanding, but you're doing this in a way that you come out loving Jesus, trusting Jesus. You reflect and turn the lights bright on Jesus. But I actually think there's something more going on here that many people miss in this, I believe. I think he's saying not only that, but he's saying enduring faith in hard times where we say praise from Jesus. I think actually this is the main point Peter's making, that God wants to include us in the praise and honor of his son. Jesus praising us for a faith that endures. Can I tell you something? I don't know what you're facing, but these momentary trials of life, and all of us have them, hard times are hard. Yours are different than mine. These hard times will melt They'll literally melt against the sound of a God who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I saw you cling to your faith in the middle of walking through those seizures. Well done. I saw you cling to your faith even while losing a child and enduring the deep grief that that caused you. I think they'll melt away when he says, well done, I watched you as you walked a path that you never understood, you never had all the answers for, and yet I watched you walk that path and I watched you love me more, trust me more, and become more like Jesus. 
You see, our hope is not something we possess. Our hope isn't something, our hope is a person. Living hope is a person, and that person is Jesus. Can I ask you today, do you have that living hope? Like, honestly, that's a great question for us to ask. You know why I ask it? Because you need living hope. You know why? Because living here can be hard. And when things are hard, it exposes what I worship. Can I ask you, what do you rejoice in? Because whatever you worship is going to determine how you navigate hard times. You see, living hope is the very thing that gives you perspective. And because we have living hope, because we have living hope, we recognize our hard times have an expiration date and, and they have a purpose. For some of you, you, have, you don't have a living hope. You can have living hope today, right there in your living room, wherever you're watching this. You can cry out to God and say, God, I believe you love me and that Jesus died for me in my place. Today I'm saying yes to Jesus. Today I'm saying, yes, I believe he died for me and rose again, and I want to follow him the rest of my life. Some of you have said yes to Jesus. Can I ask you this? What do the hard times that you are or have walked through show you about your faith? Can I just talk to you as a church? I look at the circumstances we're walking through, and I realize nobody would choose it, right? Nobody would choose it, and a lot of us don't care for it. Everything is turned upside down from what we're used to. Listen, listen. I think now is an opportunity not only for hard times to reveal and refine something about my individual faith. Listen to me. But I think what we're walking through is and will reveal something to us as an American church, about our corporate faith. And those things that are superficial will melt away. And those things that are genuine, do we love him more? Do we trust him more? And are we becoming more like him? Can I pray with you? God, I love you. Hard times are hard. And so we just confess that and recognize that. And yet, in the middle of our hard times, help us not to miss the treasure, the treasure of salvation. So thankful for your mercy. And God, in the middle of those hard times, we're asking, we're going to pray a bold prayer, melt away the superficiality of our faith. We want a genuine, refined faith. And I pray that as you refine our faith, as individuals and as a church, that we would reflect Jesus and the lights would turn bright on Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.